we welcome you to the first March edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70 at bat at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We have, again, gone a whole week of baseball and seen basically none of it. Um, so our opinions are as informed as ever, and you should know that uh, going forward. But... Um, we we still have them, so we're going to we're going to start with it. So we uh, but but realize before we get into all of this, we all still know that all this stuff is spring training, and it's very early spring training. So you take it with all the salts you want. But we do have some you know more data points than we had this time last week or this time ten days ago, Tara. And I don't know some of the stuff we're seeing is is interesting. Um, some of the stuff we're seeing is a little bit concerning. But you and I were talking before we got on the air a lot about the pitching staff, and it feels like um, this is even though Miles Michaelis is going to be out for who knows how long, it still feels like this staff, while it may not be as great as it was last year, is still a fairly solid staff both in the rotation and in the bullpen. If spring results have anything to say about it. I don't remember a year that I've been as, I don't know if excited is the right word, fascinated is probably a better word, by the possibilities with the pitching staff. And that includes the rotation because there are question marks there too, right? Mm -hmm. Is Carlos going to be a starter? Is KK going to take that fifth spot in the rotation until Miles Michaelis is back? And then when he's back, does... KK slide to the book. I mean, there there are questions as far as the rotation is concerned. I mean, quite frankly, can Adam Wainwright repeat his 2019? We right. don't know that yet. Mm-mm. So there are plenty of questions there. Same thing about Hudson. Is Dakota Hudson going to be able to replicate the success he had despite some of the sort of background factors, the deeper analytics that suggest maybe he got a little lucky or benefited from the stellar infield defense that the Cardinals threw out there night after night last year. So I feel like the only question mark or the only non-question mark I should say in the rotation is Jack Flaherty at this point. And that's great. But I mean, if we're being realistic, he still has to replicate what he did in the second half versus what he did in the first half. So lots to look at in the rotation alone. And then you start looking at six or seven or maybe eight guys down the depth chart. Austin Gomber threw on Sunday and was fantastic. And then you look at what Daniel Ponce de Leon has done this spring so far. And you read about everything that he put into making sure that he didn't become the forgotten man. And, Man, I love seeing that fire from both of those guys and not only fire from a mental standpoint, but results, right? You take results for whatever they are in the spring, but both guys have looked so strong and so capable of pitching in a major league rotation. And you think about it and they're they might might pitch the best they've ever thrown in their lives this spring and still not make the major league roster because <clears throat> the Cardinals are going to set him up as the the first call-up if someone goes down in the rotation. And that is, it's a wild picture as far as the starting rotation options are concerned. And that ignores guys like Ryan Helsley, for example, who at times has been considered a potential rotation guy. And then you start looking at the bullpen and, man, there have been years in the past where I felt like And we've talked about this, right? That the Cardinals had depth, but not necessarily quality depth. They had Mm -hmm. quantity, but 
you can't always just throw another arm at a problem and find success. Unless, you know, maybe you're Tyler Webb in the middle of last season. You're like, oh, he's actually good now? Huh, that's cool. But there are so many options. There are guys like Cody Whitley who's making his case. There's Junior Fernandez. There's Genesis Cabrera. I mentioned Ryan Helsley. There are guys all over on the peripherals of this bullpen that you feel like, for the first time in a while, we're coming to the middle of spring training feeling like the Cardinals have all the pieces in place to put together a really formidable pitching staff from the get-go. And I know we've thought that in the past, and then they went into the season and we were like, uh, what did we like about this? <laughs> but we've also, the last few years, had more questions than answers about the bullpen, feeling like they just didn't have the right pieces to create the right mix. And the thing about this spring is that they have more pieces than they can possibly use, which allows them to be really intentional about what that mix looks like. I don't know if they'll do it. I mean, I mentioned Tyler Webb. There are guys in the mix that are going to be in that bullpen likely because of their contract status, whether or not they have options or because of their experience as veterans or because it's the path of least resistance. There may be more of a known commodity, even if their ceiling isn't as high, but they can pick and choose what they want that bullpen to look like based on if they need a strikeout guy or if they need a ground ball guy or who they want the closer to be versus who they want the, the the fireman guy to be. And they can mix and match a little more this season. It feels like at this point, early in the spring, as the, the perpetual caveat, that this <laughs> pitching staff is really intriguing because they have legitimately quality options that they're just going to have too many of. And as John Mazalek always says, you can never have too much pitching, but you get the point. There are only so many spots on the roster. And there are going to be some really great guys, really great pitchers who just don't make the cut because they maybe weren't the, the right type of pitcher for what the bullpen mix needed to be. And then you're looking at guys like, you know, Griffin Roberts or yeah. uh, Alfredo, yeah. who who may not be ready now, but could easily be ready to fill in by midseason. Yeah, there's a um, whole nother tier there. Absolutely. Right. And so it may be, you know, I think Alan and I have said this before on Unusual. It feels like this is a year between the pitching and the outfield and some of the other situations. This feels like a year where a trade gets made at the end of spring training, even if it's just to bring in a couple of prospects to get, you know, because the state of Ponce de Leon really need to go back to Memphis. Right. You know, right. you know, I mean, again, the Cardinals want to have that depth that as soon as you trade him off, three guys get hurt, but <laughs> Always. it's still, yeah. But if you don't, then he's wasted away on, on the vine. Right. So it does feel like that's one of those years that you might see something like that, or they'll try to find him a place somewhere along the way. Now, whether that's possible or not, we'll have to wait and see, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. You look at all these guys and, you try to figure out how is this going to work? You know, how are you going to juggle this? And, you know, you're talking about it, about being able to, to pick and choose or really, you know, use these guys. Well, you got to hope that Mike Schilt will do that. And I'm very interested to see what Mike Schilt will do this year. Cause I think we talked about it last year. It felt like the first half of the year, he just kind of let things go to try to figure out what he had. Yeah. And then in the second half is when he started making his moves and being a little bit more aggressive and the team caught fire. I'm going to be interested if that was just like a first year thing or if he's going to kind of do that on, on the regulars. Like he's going to give these guys a lot of leash 
a lot of slack in the first couple of months, three months. And then if that doesn't work, that's where they're going to do it. But if that's the case, then yeah, you, you got Austin Gumper and Ponce de Leon perhaps in Memphis putting up one ERAs for three months. And that's not going to be fun for them. Um, and I don't know if that's great, if that's the best use of resources for the team, especially if somebody's struggling. So, you know, the puzzle pieces are there. How they're going to put them together is is still one of those things that we probably won't know at the end of spring training. We may not really even know at the end of April. It's going to kind of be an evolving thing all the way through the season. Yeah, and the good thing is they they have that... <laughs> We've, we've kind of started using this word as a negative as far as the Cardinals are concerned, but they, they have that flexibility at this point that they can move some of those pieces in and out and, and around and kind of adjust as need be. But it is interesting. I mean, normally, I feel like I think about a pitching staff almost from like the beginning and the end, and then you fit the middle in somewhere mm-hmm. in between, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't really build this bullpen backwards yet either because – whether you identify a ninth inning closer or if you sort of redefine closer to fit maybe the the most important moment of a game after the starter exits, whatever the case may be, however you define that role, if you select one guy, whether it's Giovanni Gallegos, whether it's Ryan Helsley, whether it's I don't know. There are several other options. Some people have thrown Junior Fernandez into that mix. I mean, there are so many guys that are capable of playing that role because of just on a pure stuff standpoint, right? And we saw Gallegos able to pitch well in big moments last year. John Brebbia is in that mix. I think some of them maybe fit better in different spots, but... Andrew Miller is another. I, I keep thinking of more names of guys who have pitched in that spot before that you could theoretically kind of p- pencil into that closer role, however you define that. And then you think maybe halfway through the year you get Jordan Hicks back. And then what do you do there? You reshuffle everything at that point. Do you move him back to that closer role or is someone settled in and kind of claimed it? But then you can kind of mix and match kind of backwards from there. And we talk a lot with bullpens in sort of cliches about shortening games, but mm-hmm. this is the kind of bullpen mix that I feel like you could really legitimately have a bullpen that you feel like can shorten games and not because it's two or three guys, but because the entire mix in that bullpen is capable of getting really big outs on a fairly consistent basis. Now, Bullpens are volatile. We know this. And whatever they break camp with may not be the most effective group that they'll end up with somewhere down the stretch. And even if it is, if they're great for six weeks or great for two and a half months, something's going to implode at some point and you'll have to shuffle things around and bring somebody else in or whatever. That's that's inevitable in the, the nature of bullpens. But there are enough options that even if you can't start from the ninth inning and build backwards, you can look at innings six through nine and feel like, wow, there are legitimately five guys that I would feel comfortable in any situation in any one of those innings. And that's a pretty comfortable position to be in at this point in the spring, knowing that there's still a lot yet to be determined. Yeah, and it feels like the Cardinals have had that maybe three, four years ago, they had a bullpen like that, or at least that's what it looked yeah, like for yeah. us. That it was, I guess, Brebbia and, and all those that went maybe his first year. And there was a lot of guys back there that 
were young and maybe to a Labala where you were like, well, he, he could, he can. Um, and so, yeah, it feels a little bit like that. And you're right. There's, there's no given, no guarantees on any of these guys. Um, but right now, I mean, yeah, if you could get a bullpen that'll lock things down because, you know, I don't think they did early on last year. Um, it feels like, you know, you, you like, you like their chances. I mean, um, the rotation gets them to that and, and you turn it over to with a lead. Now, of course the offense has to do their part and that's another discussion altogether. But, um, you know, and, and maybe, it, maybe it's telling that, um, as of right now, Gomber and Ponce de Leon have thrown the most innings in camp. Uh, you know, maybe they're trying to get a look for them and maybe they will slide them into that bullpen, but that's going to force some other people out and there's going to be somebody, somebody good is going to be sitting without a chair with this musical yeah. when the music stops. Um, and you just got to realize. You, let me ask you this. Does mm-hmm. the mix that we're talking about as bullpen options right now kind of take Carlos Martinez out of it as far as the bullpen is concerned? Because coming into spring, right, we were like, oh, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to bullpen be a bullpen arm? And last year, he ended up as the closer by default, right, because they right. needed him in that role. This is the first time talking about where Carlos belongs that they, I don't want to say they don't need him in the bullpen, but it doesn't seem as imminent as those other times where it was like, oh, well, we really need someone of that caliber in the bullpen right now. Yeah, I think, of course, you know, fans have said, most fans have said for a long time they want him in the rotation. Right. It feels like as the organization. Both, but right. nonetheless. It too. And it feels like this is a year you know, for whatever the reason, maybe they feel, maybe Carlos has done, you know, his off season work is different. And so he feels stronger. Um, you know, cause this time last year, by this time last year, they were already talking about him. Oh, well, we kind of like him in that bullpen, you know, right, right. to have him a starter, but he'd be, you know, there's not a mention of that now. And with Michaelis going down, you know, they really need somebody like Carlos to step up just because he's been there. And, and like you said, if he's as good as he can be, he could be the best pitcher on that staff. Um, so for whatever reason they've gotten, it feels like they've gotten past this physical block of him starting. And that was really the big hangup. So yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't, you're right. They don't seem to need him as much. I think there's a bigger need for him in the rotation this year. And, and last year there wasn't, I mean, you'd rather him been in there, but the rotation had five starters too. So well, you know, four and a half. Michael Walker struggled, but you know. Yeah, well, but I mean, going in, going in spring, we didn't necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. know yeah. that. And, and you had the five guys that it's like, yes, Carlos could be better than this, but, you know, we're not sure about his health and we could put him at the, in the back of the bullpen. So, yeah, I think so. I think that they've, I wouldn't say it's, oh, he, it's never going to be mentioned again, um, especially if he struggles at the beginning of the year. But for right now, I don't. I don't think it's in the picture. I think he's starting in the rotation, and um, it could be very interesting to see where in the rotation he starts. I mean, is he going to mm-hmm. start as the fourth starter? Um, is he going to start as the you know second starter? Who knows? I, I, I don't know that it matters too much. And again, you know, all of this, especially when we get into bullpen, you know, what we start the season with isn't what we're going to have in May, and isn't right. what we're going to have at the end right. of the year. But um, you know, it'd be interesting to see where they put him in this. I, I know they've kind of, I know Jeff Jones put out um, on Twitter, uh, you know, like a rough rotation, the way they were using pitchers. Um, I don't remember how that really works and how Carlos is coming in that, but 
I think that will be kind of interesting to see how they, they slot him in and what they're, that might give an indication of how they think he's going to hold up. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it based on what these guys should be, it should be Jack Flaherty and Carlos Martinez one, two. And if they're both pitching to their capabilities, ah, man, I know we've talked about the Cardinals needing to maybe go out and get a top of the rotation arm, but I don't know. I, I I look at what those guys have both proven to be, not what they could be in theory, right? But what they've proven themselves capable of being at times in the past. And if you get both of them pitching to that potential that we've seen them do at various times, that is a very powerful, very potent one-two. And that's the kind of one-two punch that this Cardinals rotation hasn't had in a long time. Yeah. Although that doesn't necessarily preclude going out and getting another one. You made no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you made me think of a Hondo Anako tri- quote from Clone Wars, and I won't get into the explanation of that for everybody, but I will tell you later. Um, but yes, uh, three is <laughs> three is better than two. So, um, but you're right. I mean, that's kind of what we've, seen them do so often that's why Dexter Fowler's on this team um they've gone out and gotten stuff that they don't actually need um because they have it coming up in their in their system and and that at least this time they didn't necessarily block anybody like that so um so let's let's talk a little bit about the offense and I know I feel like it's easier to talk about pitching right now um because we see them and they go out and they're kind of I mean they're not pitching as long but they're still pitching like they normally do more than where, two at bats <laughs> right where the hitters you know tyler o'neill played like twice this week or you know yeah you get a guys that a couple guys that may maybe they get three at bats so it's it still feel hard and what the cliche is the pitchers are, are still ahead of the hitters probably by this point um but overall any anything that you think is interesting about this offense you know i Having not watched many games, uh, the box scores are only telling me so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think what the the sort of negative takeaway at this point is that Dexter Fowler hasn't looked great. And Mm -hmm. that's not – I don't know that it's shocking news, but it's not great considering he's probably going to be starting anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the the fact that Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run after dealing with a little bit of a, what was it, elbow soreness or something mm-hmm. that kept him um, out of a few early games. I think that there has been, despite the, <laughs> the now um, annual lower back tightness for Matt Carpenter, <laughs> um, there have been some good signs from him. Seeing Tyler O'Neill hit some home runs in, in very limited appearances has been great. Um, I think Colton Wong has has looked pretty good, although, again, in fairly limited number of at-bats. Um, it, it's, it's a weird thing to try to gauge hitters at this point because you're right, pitchers are ahead of hitters, and we can say that a hundred times and still expect better at-bats sometimes. Paul DeYoung has hit a couple of home runs. He seems to be looking pretty good. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to go around the the regular lineup and see most of those guys looking like they're about where you want them to be at this point. I think the sort of elephant in the room is going to continue to be Dylan Carlson who went, what, like eight straight at bats with getting on base or something like that. I mean, 
it's it's one of those storylines that's going to continue as long as he continues to do what he does. And it seems like this is just who Dylan Carlson is at this point. It's a little hard to deny or a little hard to say it's, you know, <laughs> beginner's luck or it's just early or it's whatever, because this is who he is, who he's proven to be at, at pretty much every level. And that's going to continue to be a talking point, whether it should or shouldn't be, because he they're still just like we said there are questions in the rotation there are questions in the bullpen there are questions in that outfield who is going to claim those spots every day and how do you work some of those guys in maybe use more of a mix than just your three regulars and a guy to come in for a defensive replacement or whatever and I, I don't know I mean quite honestly Harrison Bader hasn't looked terrific from what I've seen so there's still a conversation to be had there when Dexter Fowler doesn't look great. Harrison Bader it still has something to prove offensively. Tyler O'Neill is in the mix. Lane Thomas is out there. Ravello has maybe looked like the best of the left fielders in the time that he's played in there. I mean, you've got, again, a number of options. And then there's Dylan Carlson. And it's kind of like everyone sees what he's doing. And we're supposed to just kind of ignore it because he's probably not going to make the roster. I know you're baiting me into my Carlson. I may have tried a little bit. (laughs) I'll I'll get there in a minute. I promise. Um, But I I pulled up the stats here because they get what they mean. Um, First of all, would you like to guess who leads the team in at bats in the spring? Um, In at bats this spring. Uh, I've watched so few games that I'm trying to remember the box scores I've read. I, I have no idea. Noah Gorman. Okay. You know, it's funny. That was going to be my guess. And then I was like, no, it can't be. That was like four games ago. I would have guessed that, but okay. All right. Noah, <laughs> Noah Gorman. Gorman has four more at bats than anybody else. And that's a, <laughs> a little bit interesting to me just because of what we saw with Dylan Carlson last year, you know, Dylan Carlson played all spring long. I mean, he, he went to Memphis as a member of the Cardinals, you know, when they had that exhibition yeah, game. They didn't right, I forgot about that. Very, very in, uh, you know, keep track of the patron prospects. So. Of course, um, of course. <laughs> and so, um, so it's a little bit interesting to see them kind of doing the same thing with Gorman this year. Again, he's not going to make the team this year. He's going to go back to Springfield like, Gor- like uh, Carlson did last year. It makes you wonder if they're kind of keeping an eye on him, priming him, giving him that experience. It's going to be very interesting to see when he gets – sent out if he stays as long as, as Carlson did last year. But um, secondly, um, here we go. No, no, not yet. I'm still oh, looking at okay. the, so, all right, all right. the I'm team. I'm just excited. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, you did say about Harrison Bader. Yeah. Actually, he's not been as bad as maybe, you, I mean, again, we're not seeing stuff, so I understand, but five for 17 hitting 294 with two doubles and a homer. Um, okay. All right. So, you not know, quite as bad as I thought it was. He's uh, actually, but out of the people, out of the top people with the f- top five at bats, the person that is doing the best with basically 16 at bats or more, if you're looking at the slash lines, Yaro Munoz, 375 <laughs> with a 1,000 OPS. Now, of course, well... Munoz comes down injured today and sounds like it's fairly severe. I haven't had a chance to read up on it. But, you know, there was a there was an argument pretty much that Munoz needed to go to Memphis and play every day anyway. Um, maybe he took that to heart, but it, it's interesting to see him have such a strong spring. Munoz is such a weird 
spot on this roster for me because I know I've said this before and it's not a knock on Munoz and I've talked to to Kyle Reese about this and we we share similar opinions. He's he's such a redundancy <laughs> that I don't understand the fascination with Jero Munoz, except that you can apparently throw him in the outfield if you feel like it, and you can play whatever position on the field you basically want him to because he's that guy. But I don't, I, it just, I mean, there seem to be other options that provide you with a little more consistency perhaps or a little more of a, a shade of something different than you already have in that mix that I don't know he's 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 not exciting to me which your bench guy doesn't have to be but um I think we sort of and this that's sort of a general we everyone who's watched I'm Jairo Munoz with the Cardinals remember some of his clutch moments some of those exciting home runs and those are great don't get me wrong I'm not taking away from any of those moments but there are a lot of not so great moments for Munoz and a lot of times you're just like uh I mean, there are guys who are better defensively. There are guys who are better offensively. Is he really the best option on the bench for this Cardinals team? And sure, yes, he's hitting well in the spring, or he was until the injury. That's great. Um, but the Cardinals have brought in other options that could be bench players. I mean, you're looking at Miller and Austin Dean and, you know, whatever, that that may not play the exact position that Munoz does. But even then, maybe Sosa is a better backup at short than Munoz. I mean, there, there are these conversations that just, to me, it feels like he's he's sort of a, a piece that you're not quite sure why he's there, but he's there. And as long as he's there, sure, I'm I'm hopeful that what we've seen this spring is going to to mean good things for him in the season, wherever it is that he's playing, but it just, it's never quite made sense to me. The, the organizational interest in Jairo Munoz. I wonder if there is at least some subconscious or maybe even just conscious desire to get something out of the Stephen Piscotti trade. I mean, I know they got a lot of great press. Sure. Yeah. There's nothing that, that, but you know, they really, I think, and I've heard Kyle talking a little bit about it on prospects after dark as well. Um, I really feel like, you know, they wanted, they thought maybe thought Max Schrock was going to be that guy. He was going to be the guy. Yeah, that really yeah. And he hasn't been. And Munoz did. He, you know, he earned his way onto the team. Was it two spring training? Sure. Ago? Of course. Um, and he, yeah, you're right. He's had some big moments and he's had some, some places where, you know, if you're not paying attention all the time, you know, you could think, huh, that's not a bad ball player, you know, and, and, and things like that. Um, and then you watch him a little bit more closely and you could kind of see some of the more of the flaws. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, it it does feel like when they went and got Brad Miller, that was the idea of pushing Munoz to uh, Memphis. That being said, Brad Miller came up with a straight back today. So, you know, <laughs> Munoz may be really. Uh, with, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um who knows? And and hopefully Miller's situation is a temporary one. I don't. I, again, not one I've read a lot about. I just kind of got the notification on my phone earlier today, so that's about as much as I know. Um, but it does feel like even with a strong spring, he was ticketed to Memphis, if nothing else, to see if regular playing time would help him some, and then they could pull him back up if there was a need, um, or if I Tommy thought, Edmund isn't Tommy Edmund this yeah. year. Yeah, you know, I've always felt like Munoz is one of those guys that gets a little overexposed 
when mm. you see too much of him at the major league level, both offensively and defensively. He can make some spectacular defensive plays, but if he's playing in the outfield all the time and always trying to throw a rocket to third base, sometimes it's going to look a little crazy and you're going to be like, why could you not just hit the cutoff man? Or at the plate, sometimes the more you see of him, the more it looks like he's out of his element. So that's sort of where I've always landed with Munoz is that I feel like he's a guy that can easily become overexposed and then less effective. So, you know, maybe he can work on that. Maybe he can become less predictable. I don't know. But that's sort of why, to me, it, it has always felt like He's a fine option, but that doesn't mean there isn't a better one. Yeah. Greg Garcia was always that kind of guy for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he was really good if you didn't have to play him for two weeks in a row. So um, anyway, okay. Well, I'm going to do my Carlson rant then. All right. Um, here we go. And it's, it's a situation that I have seen on line a lot this, well, for a while. But it really kind of struck me this week and I was listening to Bernie and Will on their Seeing Red podcast. And both of them were immediately dismissive of any idea that Carlson would go down to Memphis for anything but service time reasons. Um, and I really find that a bit frustrating because, one, the Cardinals have never done for, uh, service time issues. I mean, they accelerated the clock on Jordan Hicks when they didn't need to. They accelerated the clock on Magnus Sierra when they didn't need to. We've seen them take guys or bring them up early. I don't know of a time where the Cardinals have kept a prospect down because of, of service time. Um, you know, granted, Carlson's a better prospect than they've had since you know, possibly Pujols. Um, but I don't feel like that's ever been a huge consideration for the team. Um, secondly, you know, there are other outfielders out there to, to that they need to see. It's not like, I know you'll appreciate this. It's not like Mark <laughs> Ellis is holding back Colton Wong, you know. Love a good I mean, Mark Ellis yeah. reference. Yeah, I know you do. Um, I like to throw those in when I can. Um, they do. I, I think there's a legitimate reason to find out what they have with Taylor O'Neill, what they have with Lane Thomas, what they have with Harrison Bader. And, you know, contracts are going to contracts. You're not going to get rid of Dexter Fowler as much as you may want to or, you know, think he doesn't need to be there or you got to play your best, whatever. That's just not the way baseball works. Um, and so I, I don't have a problem with them trying to figure those guys out because Carlson's only played, what, a two, three weeks at Memphis, maybe? It's not like he's being held down. It's not, you want to see service time media inflation, you look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with the Blue Jays or Chris Bryant a number of years with the Cubs. Um, I just don't, it, it's frustrating that, that they, and he'll call me naive, that's fine. I've been called worse. Um, but it, it's very frustrating to think that everybody just wants to assign all these negative um, motives to the front office when there are legitimate baseball reasons to think Carlson could start at the minor league. And again, we're talking spring training, small sample sizes as we're, you know, he's not going to hit 500 in the regular, if he hits 500 in the regular season, then yes, he should be up in the, in the major league. I'll give you that much. Um, but, you know, Carlson's going to be up, but I think it's very, I mean, We've talked about Tyler O'Neill. We've talked about Lane Thomas uh, for a number of years now. And it, these guys got to get a regular time. And you don't want Carlson up sitting on the bench. Um, I just, you know, again, if they, if he goes north, that's great. But I, if, he, if they send him to Memphis, I'm not going to say, oh, well, they're just trying to save some money. I, I just don't think that's the case. Um, 
again, people can argue and disagree with me, but that's, that's where I'm leaning on this. It, it's just frustrating that people will just automatically jump to that negative conclusion when there are many other parts of evidence that show maybe that's not the case. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting scenario and one that I don't think would be talked about as much had we not just seen those two cases that you mentioned as far as very clear, very obvious, undeniable manipulations of service time for the sake of manipulating the service time. I, I don't know that we'd be having this conversation if that wasn't the case, at least not as consistently or as loudly. The other thing, though, that – and maybe this is just coming at it from a, a slightly different perspective – is that I, this this idea that the Cardinals um, have accelerated the timeline on a number of players, while I think making the, the leap to the major leagues, that is probably true in some pretty extreme cases – there are other situations, and, and maybe it's because I've worked on the minor league side of it a little bit, where the Cardinals have been extremely cautious and extremely intentional in kind of slowing down the progression of some of those those top prospects or guys that you expect to move very quickly so that they are a bit more well-rounded and not necessarily that kind of flash in the pan success that you often see at some of those minor league levels where maybe the competition isn't quite as comparable as what they'll see later on. There was a big push for Nolan Gorman, right? The last, well, coming off of his first season, ah, he should start at Memphis and he hadn't played above a ball, right? So the, the organization has been careful with guys in the past. We saw a little bit of a delay with Oscar Tavares. Now that may have had something to do with the manager at the time. We can argue that whether you want to or not, but they have been intentionally a little bit slow moving guys through the minor league levels to make sure that they have done all of the intended development before they're ready for the major leagues. And and that would be, I keep hearing that conversation in, as well. And, and there's certainly truth to that in some of those specific cases, but I've also seen the opposite true kind of within the minor league ranks, but that doesn't necessarily to me apply as much to Carlson. Yes. He hasn't spent a ton of time at Memphis, so I could see from that standpoint, we want to make sure that he gets the development that you get at AAA as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure Dylan Carlson needs the development you get at AAA. Yeah. There are, like Jordan Hicks didn't necessarily, now you could argue that Jordan Hicks maybe needed a little more development as far as a, a second option to a 105 mile an hour two-seamer, but nonetheless, um, there are those rare players, right, that the Cardinals have been like, oh, this thing that he could learn at Memphis is a thing that he already knows. So we don't necessarily need to slow down that process or or make sure that he hits every one of those steps along the way. So in that regard with Dylan Carlson, I'm not entirely convinced that he needs Memphis in order to be a good major league player, right? Because the Cardinals don't ultimately want Dylan Carlson to be a good AAA player. <laughs> they want Dylan Carlson to be a good major league player. And if he already is that, how much value is there really for him to get out of Memphis? So that would be sort of my counterpoint to the time he needs to spend at Memphis. But I do think you're right in that this whole service time manipulation thing hasn't really been the way that the Cardinals have gone about their business in the past. So the only reason to me why it's such a big story now is because of what we've just seen with some of those other players in other organizations. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not saying that he needs Memphis. I'm just saying it doesn't bother me as much for him to go to Memphis when there are guys like, 
Donnell and Thomas in right. front of him. Now, if you're looking at three Dexter Fowlers, you know, yeah. uh, old veterans yeah. that, you know, there really isn't much value there. Then yeah, I, I could see that you could play one over those. But when you've got guys that you need to evaluate at a, at a major league level and, and have, you know, should have a lot of talent. We saw Tyler O'Neill last year when he played in July, you know, he had a really good run. We saw the little bit of, we saw out of Lane Thomas was really interesting. I mean, if those guys are good, then you've got a problem on your hands of when to get Carlson up here, or how do you get Dexter Fowler out of the lineup? But that's a different situation, you know? And, and, and I think to that point, the Cardinals have been very clear that they want to see those players at the major league level or given the the opportunity right. to claim that major league spot. And you simply can't do that if you have too many guys for those spots. Mm-hmm. You cannot give someone legitimate time. That's why we talked early in the winter that it was the addition by subtraction may have actually been bigger than some of the moves they could have made. Not, you know, like Nolan Arenado type moves, right. but some of the moves they could have made because it cleared out space for Tyler O'Neill and for Lane Thomas and even for Harrison Bader for Dylan Carlson, for whomever else you want to throw into that mix, to have enough of a chance in the spring to really showcase what they're capable of or to really work on whatever was their weakness last year. So, yes, I I totally agree with you on that front, that there are legitimate baseball reasons that have nothing to do with Dylan Carlson, right? That have everything to do with Tyler O'Neill and with Lane Thomas and with finding out what you actually have in the organization so that... If it's not going to be Lane Thomas, who's your everyday left fielder, you know what you have in Lane Thomas to appropriately value him either as a AAA player or as someone you could use in a trade later on. I think in part, the hesitation to trade a Tyler O'Neill or a Harrison Bader or whatever it was last year may, and maybe this is where I'm a little bit naive, but it may have something to do with the fact that they don't really know what the value of Tyler O'Neill is yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why would I trade him now when give it six months and I can tell you what he's actually worth as a major league baseball player and hopefully get a little bit more in return for that if then it's Dylan Carlson time and we can go from there or whatever the case may be. So there are real baseball reasons to see what those guys have to offer. And if you don't, then you, you kind of just take the lumps a little bit and, and either let one of those guys go or just live with the the idea of not ever seeing what their potential really could be or whatever that might be. Now, is that smart as far as Dylan Carlson is concerned? I don't know. Is it the best roster you could put together if Dylan Carlson isn't on it? Not entirely sure, but not all of the reasons for Dylan Carlson not making the roster have to do with Dylan Carlson and the potential of starting his clock. Right. Right. And also both Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas are having had a decent week. I mean, that's all spring training is the first 10 days. (laughs) They're not been bad. I mean, Tyler O'Neill, two home runs, which is right behind Paul Paul DeYoung for the lead team lead hitting 300. Um, uh, Thomas a little bit not you know 250 or whatever I mean they're not just you know bottoming out um, so <clears throat> yeah I just it just it, it's frustrating um, to hear that being like you know set in stone like oh well that's that's why he could hit you know a thousand and they would bring up maybe but it's not because they're trying to save money. Now, are they glad they can save money? I'm not going to argue. They're probably happy about that. Yes. But I don't think it's the major 
motivation. So um, I didn't rant nearly as well as Tara does. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll try. Try better next time. I'll figure one out for next week, maybe. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> See, this is what happens. It's like it's like somebody besides Alex doing the trip of the week. It's just right. It, it can be good. I've tried, but... and it's never as good. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> all right. Well, the Cardinals have again another full week. They've got a, actually a split squad on Thursday, and then they have a day off Friday. Um, but we'll have another week, and by the time we get to it next week, I think I saw maybe first cuts on the ninth, which would be. A week from tomorrow so um we may have some some interesting things to talk about next sunday is who may be on the on the way down so um until then that is tara i'm daniel good night hey cardinals fans thanks for listening to this week's show if you liked what you heard you can find us on itunes just search gateway to baseball heaven under podcasts and click subscribe While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.